Welcome to GovCast. I am your host, Managing Editor Amy Kluber. Karen Evans was just recently appointed new Department of Homeland Security CIO, but her time in the public sector, as we know, is not new. Her impact is well known. She was the first what is known now to be the federal CIO, and she led the cybersecurity efforts at the Department of Energy. As former director of the public-private organization U.S. Cyber Challenge, Evans has a strong commitment to developing the workforce, an area needing strong attention right now for cybersecurity and IT at large. First, thank you, Karen, <laughs> for joining us so soon after your appointment. It's been, let's see, a little over a month now? Yes. Yes, it has been. Thank you. It's been a certainly interesting time during the pandemic. I can't imagine coming into a new position for you during this time has been anything like the same as anything else. You probably never had to do this before. <laughs> well, that's true. But what has happened and what is good is that it's a chief information officer. So the expectations and what needs to be done in this job for the department I have obviously a foundation that I can build upon. So I'd imagine it would be more of a challenge if I was totally private sector and then came into this and then trying to get my hands around the budget process and what's happening and the telework and how they are managing everything. But DHS hasn't missed a beat and the OCIO team here hasn't missed a beat in being able to support the department when it moved to a whole teleworking type of approach. So the department has never really shut down, even though we're responding and providing services during a pandemic. That's actually a common thing I've been hearing from agencies is how well some of their strategies or initiatives that have been put in place before have really helped, I guess, this huge pivot to telework and kind of adapting to new normals. Exactly, exactly. So a lot of the work that was done by my predecessors and the team that's currently in place with initiatives that have been underway for a while that people recognize needed to be done in the federal government, such as modernization. What does modernization of IT really mean? What does moving to the cloud really mean? Well, you're actually seeing it now live based on DHS moving to Office 365 in the cloud. They were able to spin up all those concurrent connections and then having the capability on the network infrastructure to be able to go and spin up. Right now, I believe we can sustain up to 120,000 concurrent sessions you know, at a time, wow. which is huge. So you spin up as you need it. And then and the way that that they've put the infrastructure in place right now, right? It's really heavy. You need it, but then it would go down just as easily and you can spin down as people are doing other things within the component and building out their infrastructure as well. So a lot of groundwork that has been done through the years and a lot of the predecessors that have been in this position, I hope when they hear this, they should take credit for the work that they did because it paid off when the department had a shift. How did you come into IT and public service to begin with? Well, I came into public service while I was in college. I started as a GS2. My father actually was with the Office of Personnel Management. And actually prior to that, it was called the Civil Service Commission. Mm -hmm. And then he was with the Office of Personnel Management. So I started as a GS2. I've worked with multiple agencies. I worked at the National Park Service at a park in Harpers Ferry, which was Harpers Ferry National Historical Park. So I miss it in the spring 
spring and the summer because it was a really cool job. Like you did a lot of really neat things, giving walking tours, living history, doing a bunch of different things. So that's how I came into public service. But how I moved into IT, my career actually mirrors and goes along with the evolution of IT and how it became such integration and how it worked into everyday life and how you were doing things to improve business processes. You know, my career matches along that. So like we were part of the team when I was at agriculture looking at, okay, so how do you go from a character-based DOS 3.2 to a GUI interface, which was Windows, Microsoft Windows? And what were you going to do, how you were going to transition things. And I also then had other duties as assigned and I was a system administrator. So I used to have to maintain systems as an other duty as assigned. And so as people and organizations kept building out, my career kept moving into those organizations that were supporting those technology solutions. Wow. So, you know, prior to this, you were also at the energy department and you had a prior role essentially as the federal CIO. And you mentioned you've seen various presidential administrations over the years. How have you seen tech priorities change? Well, the promise of technology is always there. I saw I was there in the government. There was a promise. And if you look at the history, like it was, oh, if we implement all this automation, we can reduce the federal footprint, right? We can gain more efficiencies. We're going to restructure the workforce. That's always been the promise. But as you move through this, what you find out is you have to really make decisions about what is the work you really want to do and then what are the outcomes you want to change, right? Like how do you want to do certain things? And so I got to participate in all of that. So I don't know that the priorities have changed if you are focused on the outcome. It's how do you meet those priorities and technology has evolved to the point now where you really have to be clear on what outcome you're trying to achieve because there's a technical solution for anything. It's pervasive now, right? When we first started doing this, I remember at one of the agencies, they were negotiating a contract to bring in Unix-based systems across the Department of Agriculture. Agriculture was one of the first major departments that went from a hierarchical database to a relational database. Like people are going to go, oh, I remember that. I remember that. (laughs) Those of us that have been here in a long time. But a lot of it was like somebody would see something and say, you know, I want this software. And then you'd have to say, well, what did you see it do? Because we probably have that capability here. It just may not be that package. So a lot of it was really then being able to develop the skill sets that you need to be able to talk to the business side, to really get them and work with them so that you could understand really what the management and the mission functions were. So I don't know that that part has changed. What is changing is, do I have to really build it inside? You know, we went through that phase where the government was trying to build everything. So you had government created got types of solutions. Then the government was going to have its own standards versus following the industry standards. So we used to have government standards versus industry standards. Like there used to be a special networking standard that was a government standard. And I remember our agency said, well, the way the internet 
internet is going IP-based, so we're going to go with industry and we're going IP-based. That caused a lot of problems with a lot of stuff internally saying, no, no, we have to go with the government standards. So there's a lot of this discussion back and forth about you know, what is the right thing in order to be able to do this, but it's always been the promise of technology and taking advantage of it to get to mission outcome. You know, a large part of your background has been on the cybersecurity side of things. Maybe just a small part? Maybe just a small part. (laughs) We had your predecessor on Cybercast last year, actually. How do you plan on carrying on some of his existing initiatives? And do you have any new ones? Well, I don't know that it's carrying on his initiatives from that aspect. It is carrying on the priorities of the department. Mm -hmm. And so cybersecurity is important to the department overall and the risk management of how we manage these programs and how we deal with certain things, right? So it's having a good risk management program that is supported by the cybersecurity program in place. So it's really taking a look at what is the right risk profile for the department and then supporting it with the right business processes or the right technology or how to do that. Plus the key thing, which I think you're asking a little indirectly here, which is all about the workforce. Like I can have the right tools in place, but if I don't have the right workforce with the right skill sets in order to be able to maintain and improve the risk profile of the department, then we're never going to be able to get there. So one of the things that we're doing jointly with the chief human capital officer is the Department of Homeland Security Cybersecurity Service, which is we hope and we are planning and we are pushing really hard to launch that pilot in the fall where we will be recruiting people based on their ability to perform. And it's very similar to the work that we were doing, I was doing as the national director for the U.S. Cyber Challenge. So it's allowing them to take uh, different tests, looking at competitions, looking at their ability to perform and matching it up with the skill sets that you need in the job, as well as education. So Congress gave DHS the statutory authority and the Chico has really embraced it here. And so I'm going to make the assumption that my predecessor was talking about cybersecurity workforce. And that is a piece that is continuing on and that it should launch in the fall. Great. That's awesome to hear. Considering some of your previous posts, you know, leading the U.S. Cyber Challenge and, of course, your security role at Energy, are you looking to apply to DHS any commonalities or similar approaches to that kind of work now that oh, you're absolutely, at DHS? absolutely, absolutely. So when we are, we're talking about the DHS Cybersecurity Service, that's a pretty exciting vision and the rules that the Chico is putting in place. It's really going to mirror and. Be be able to apply different techniques that were being used. For example, Department of Energy has a competition that they do every year. It's very focused on industrial control systems and the national labs put it in place. So that whole cyber force competition was in place. But the concepts of that actually will apply to the system that is going to be here, which then will allow people to progress through this and match you up, also match you up to market-based salary rates. 
And so this Chico has really looked at what is currently available in the market, what is the market paying, and then based on your skill sets and how you do certain things, it's going to match up your salary. So think about it. You could be somebody who has the right set of skills. You can demonstrate it through this process, and you could just be a high school graduate that's come through, but because you've demonstrated, it can match you up and pay you what is commensurate in the market. So that is a huge leap forward. That was things we were piloting that over at Energy. I'm excited to be here at the point where DHS and the Chico office is actually going to be implementing it because this has been the vision of how you can close that gap in the cybersecurity workforce area. And I believe the department will demonstrate success here. It's easily transferable into other types of functions within the CIO shop. So I'm going to volunteer with the Chico and say, let's look at other things besides just cybersecurity now that this is working well. So I'm already I'm at the place where it's already successful and that we're going to close our gaps and that how do I continue to move forward on this? Because a lot of the stuff that you look at, I'm sure you follow the Federal CIO Council. They've always been looking at this since my tenure way back is what are the skill gaps? Where is industry? How do we compete with industry? What gaps are we trying to close? Cybersecurity has always been there since we mm-hmm. were doing the workforce assessments, but the variations would change, right? So like everybody doesn't have have to be what I would call on a scale from one to 10, a 10, like a network forensics analysis who has to re-engineer things. Like I like to use the analogy that as we're moving things forward here, where there, we're doing the analysis of the security operating centers and then trying to consolidate and then improve the risk posture for the department, that you're going to have to have people and establish career paths that think of them as like first responders, right? They're going to have to be able to know what's coming in, do the analytics, and then triage it and send it up to the specialist. So you're going to need a lot of different skill sets. And so this matches up to the NIST framework and then the National Initiative for Cybersecurity Education. It'll match up to those different skill categories. And then we'll really then have a staffing plan. Like you'll have a staffing plan and you can establish the pipelines and then you'll have the tools so that you can identify the candidates. So DHS has also been consolidating its data center. Is that going to be largely dependent on some of your workforce initiatives that you just mentioned? Well, it depends on what you mean when you're talking about the data center consolidations because there's multiple pieces that are moving out. And so right now that is an ongoing procurement. So we are doing the data center consolidation. So this, again, you know, kudos to my predecessor. So I'm sure that Dr. Zangardi did talk about this, which dealt with like network modernization, data center Mm -hmm. consolidation, the move to the cloud. All of that has to be used together. You're not doing that, you know, in a silo by itself but it's moving in a very methodical, analytical way about when you close this down, how you move the applications to the cloud. Do you have the right skill sets in there to maintain that? So that's the long answer to yes. Everybody is looking at their workforce pieces. The first piece of this is, okay, who needs what cybersecurity skill sets? Because everyone needs to have 
something in there. And then what other pieces do we need? We need network engineers. You know, we need database types of people. We need more architects that are looking at things going toward the future to maintain what we're talking about from a zero trust capability from that type of posture. So those are different skill sets than what we need today to maintain what we have. And then I have to make sure as I work with the staff here in the Chico, do they have the career path? How are we moving existing personnel and making sure that they have the right training? Where are those gaps? And then where do we recruit to fill the other gaps if we can train people to these other jobs? And considering the pandemic, I know Mm -hmm. we're in the middle of it right now. And I think government agencies are doing a really good job trying to figure out how to just adjust and even return to work. Is the pandemic affecting how you think about the future of some of your IT priorities or the future of IT modernization in government? I think a circumstance like what you're talking about, like the pandemic is here, which I think gives the ability for people to put very tangible results around things that were amorphous in the past. So if a CIO was talking about network modernization, like that to senior leadership, you're like, oh, network. It's just like when we're talking in Congress about IT modernization. What does IT modernization really mean, right? The pandemic has given us the opportunity to say, look, all these years of investment as we've been moving along and doing this, we've been able to switch and here's what we're doing, right? We've been moving these applications to the cloud. This is why we've been able to maintain and sustain them in a telepresence type of environment. So it gives you a clear demonstrated capability in a crisis. So now that discussion is, okay, if we want to extend it or we want to expand it or we need to sustain it, because right now, given the situation where we're in, right, we need to have this extended. It's not like it's ending tomorrow. That means you're in this new normal where people are going to be working in this environment and you have to sustain it, which means now my focus you know, we were talking a little bit about cybersecurity from that perspective, is more focused on that. You see where our landscape has changed. So as you're watching all of this, you know, our adversaries, everyone, their landscape has changed as well, right? So now I have to pivot based on some of those types of things of it's not, okay, we can put a perimeter around things and do it. We have people working from home that are using their home networks with government equipment. Okay, how do I minimize the risk for that? You know, I have executives now that are doing certain things. Okay, now I have to have risk profiles that are a little bit different for these types of executives versus these types of staff. You're doing the same kind of work that you did internally, but you're adding the complexity because they're more virtual. I think CIO organizations have always been looking at the world this way. It's now our mission partners are looking at the world through the same lens, which I think Mm -hmm. is a great opportunity. It is. Do you see promise in maybe emerging technologies, maybe evermore now? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think that the way that the innovation here in the United States is working is is that you're going to see a lot of innovation. But I also think that because of the way the environment is going and what you see, you're going to see some of these other big policy issues that you've been able to defer for a while. And we've been playing around the edges a little bit. But like the emergence of the chief data officer, I think, is really critical, right? Because the CIO is looking at this, right, the strategic use of information 
information. You have a data officer now who's going to be so, you know, I'm back to an old tenant back from Klinger Cohen in 1996. You're looking at your architecture and where you are and where you need to be. The biggest thing is how can I harmonize the data? It's always been about protecting the information and protecting the data. DHS itself was organized in a way where you have a chief privacy officer as well, right, because of the way the missions are here and how you have to interact with the citizens. So some of these big decisions that we need to make as a country are coming to the forefront because we're really pushing things really hard as it relates to technology. I think the most prominent place where you're seeing this play out is dealing with supply chain risk management. During my tenure previously in government, we were always talking about, you know, where does the data go as you continue and build out these data centers? Because the cloud is just data centers on steroids. That's what it is, right? So you have to really look at where is the data traversing in the world? And can we put the proper protections in it? It is now highlighting those same policy discussions. That's why you see a lot of this stuff on Capitol Hill, where they're now going back and saying, maybe these laws that we passed in the 90s, we need to go back and revisit because the world has changed with the capabilities of what we can do with technology. So I guess one last question. Looking back over your time in the public sector, and of course, maybe ahead in the future as you embark on this new journey at DHS, what has been one of your favorite projects that you've been a part of, or maybe favorite effort? See, and I knew you were going to ask that. And I was going to say there are so many, because when you're in the public sector, you have so many opportunities to be able to make a difference going forward and being able to demonstrate that success. I think it's really hard to pick what is my favorite project. I really think that the way that I look at it is almost all of them are really good. I've had the opportunity to be able to say, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. When I left and I was a private citizen and I started using some of the initiatives that I put in place, I said, oh, wow, if I ever go back, I'm going to improve that one. (laughs) And so they were, they're all good projects because the work that the federal government does is critical to citizen services. I mean, they're all good. They're all mission oriented. They're all things that are critical services that the federal government provides. As I use them, though, I think, yeah, if I get the opportunity to improve that one, I will. So I am looking at it through that lens, like, oh, I was a user. Now I get to go back and actually improve some of these other things. So yeah, that part of it's exciting. So it's really kind of hard to say which one is the best. It's actually walking a mile in my own shoes and using some of these things. My husband always said, yeah, I know you're the one who put this in place. And I do not like this particular aspect of why I have to do what I have to do now. So those moments are really eye opening. I think the other thing that is really eye-opening is that the work that we were focused on previously is still the same work that needs to be done. It just is changing, and you hit the nail on the head. It changes based on the capabilities that have been innovated in this space, right? Mm -hmm. So we have some of the smartest people in the United States here that are building commercial solutions that give us really wonderful capabilities. So it allows us to raise the bar on what those services should be and being able to provide them in a more efficient, cost-effective way for the taxpayer. 
It's really enlightening. And, you know, all of that led to you coming to DHS and applying all those things in the past and building off of everything and all those efforts is exciting to watch. It is exciting. And I tell you, the other part is, it's like you make mistakes and my goal is to learn from the mistakes and then be able to work with this team here, this team that has been assembled. They are committed to the mission of DHS. They're committed to the components mission and to have the opportunity and for the president to give me this opportunity to be able to meet some of these mission requirements for the American people. I can't tell you how honored I feel about being given this opportunity to do it. Well, thanks for joining us, Karen. This was a great conversation and I'm glad to have learned that you got your start at the park service. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. So if you want a tour when you come over, because I still commute in from West Virginia, I love going to Harpers Ferry National Historical Park. It has changed so much, but it is a great national park to go and tour. It really is. You would have fun. I will have to make it over there sometime. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. GovCast is a production of Government CIO Media and Research. For more podcasts, head to governmentcio.com slash podcasts. If you liked what you hear, let us know by leaving us a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. GovCast is produced by Amy Kluber. Theme music provided by Big Hoax. If you're interested in sponsoring a podcast, contact us at sponsor at governmentcio.com. 